0: Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, I see dead consoles. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with ya. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined as I'm always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? Patrick, it's going great. Uh, I, You know, we may have talked about this before, but do you remember what your first CD was? Do you remember buying your first CD? Yes, my first CD was Real Big Fish's uh, uh, Not Why Do They Rock So Hard, Turn the Radio Off, was the first CD I ever bought. That's amazing. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember... Did you go to like a record store for it, like a Blockbuster Music or Sam Goody? Yeah, Goody got it. Um, I don't, uh, I don't remember. It's possible that I went to um the uh uh oh, what was it called? Something and CD Exchange. Uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of this record store in my hometown. But it was like a like a a family owned record store. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who worked there um a little bit later, so she wasn't working there at the time but i think that's where i bought my my first record i think my first cd that i bought myself for You're right, myself cd i'm sorry sorry it's a cd it's a cd i'm not we're not talking about <laughs> records i buy very little vinyl didn't buy any when i was younger no i right. there was like a um uh, a a of another family run store called mm-hmm. world records that was that's good maybe like world records that's, I a, know, that's it a good is name good. That's a good yeah name. especially that's, i think yeah. it was like a mile away from our house, and I was straight up. I was old enough that I was able to walk, yeah, but not old enough that I could drive. Drive. So I, I think I was like eleven, maybe something what, like that. What was the first CD? You it buy? was um like Disney Classics Volume One or something like that. <laughs> Mark, don't ever change. You know, one of those like <laughs> compilation. Yeah. I In a lot of ways, Patrick, I haven't. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then the first, thing, but then I remember being like 14 yeah 13 or 14 and i was about to go on like a trip with my peers and i remember the first like cool cd yeah i think that i bought for myself was weezer's blue album and i that's a cool cd to buy for yourself i'm pretty sure i bought it online from like a cd specific store so like I can't remember what it was called. But it was it like wasn't like all... the Columbia House. Like, no, record no, thing, it was of... like AllMusic.com or like you know, yeah. like all like CD something or another.com. Not Cause... CD Baby. That's something that exists now. Does CD Baby still exist? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't. What is CD Baby? CD Baby. Uh, so CD Baby was a place where um, you could. If you were releasing your own records, that, that was a way to distribute them. Uh, anything that I've ever recorded has been available on CD Baby at one time or another. Got it. And and uh, CD Baby also had good relationships with um, streaming services. So, like, you would put your CD on there and they would, uh, you know, get it out to all the different streaming platforms. That makes sense. Patrick, happy to tell you, CD Baby still exists. Still exists. Thank CD you. CDBaby.com. Thank you, CD Baby. I've gotten uh, maybe. 50 bucks from CD Baby over the course of my life, a lifetime of record sales, maybe 50 bucks from, from CD Baby. You gotta love the economics of streaming music, y- yes. Well, and uh, that's all from before streaming, that's all people who actually bought the record. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, from streaming, I think I've seen like eight cents. <laughs> um, Here's a good way to see eight cents. You won't see eight cents this way. Uh, Get on the Sonic Forces borrowing program list. All you got to do is email us at Society at gmail.com and give us a mailing address so we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch mailed to you with postage paid by me more than eight cents. I'll tell you that much. You play it for as long as you want. You pack it back up in the envelope I provide for you and you ship it using the postage I provide for you. It's a perfect borrowing program the segues can be could be a little bit dangerous because it's there's the potential if we didn't have more self-control yeah that we could go down a road where we're like do we need to put eight cents in with every copy of sonic forces that we get sent out yeah well i mean we don't even technically have a copy of sonic forces going out in every uh every time we send out oh that's right sometimes it's untitled goose game so you know don't freak out, you haven't been lied to, you haven't been tricked, it is just something that happens. Another thing that is not a lie or a trick (laughs) is that you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Uh Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcast. We appreciate it so much. When you do, it helps people find the show. Patrick and I love reading your reviews. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We've had a really nice string of thoughtful, lovely reviews, so thank you so much to anybody who has ever left us a review. If you leave us a review on the US Apple Podcast Store, we can see it and we will give you a shout out on the show. But if you leave us a review anywhere else or you share the show in some other way, we can't see it but we want to acknowledge it. So let us know. You're not bragging. No, it's not a brag. We, no. It's not and it's not like a You know, it's not like you're some saintly figure coming in to deliver us from a reviewless world. No, we want to know these things. Exactly. Communicate it to us. Yeah, send us an email, hit us up on Twitter, let us know so we can give you a shout-out on the show. Um, Also, while you're doing that or while you're doing something else, you should try to get into our Discord. Um, It is a fun place where people are talking about the games that they're playing, the games that they want to play, and basically everything that's going on in Nintendo. Um, But you need an invite to get... uh, in. To get invited. <laughs> uh, so email us, uh, hit us up on Twitter, uh, do whatever you can. We will let you in and you can join us uh, having a great time talking about Nintendo stuff. Uh, <clears throat> Mark, we've got uh, a couple emails here that we want to address um, very quickly. Uh, email from Denko. Denko writes, hey guys, Denko from Sweden here. Uh, for the longest time, I've been listening to your podcast and other Nintendo podcasts from overseas. I have always been so confused whenever you or other podcast hosts talk about Nintendo Switch online and the fact that it doesn't work very well, lagging, etc. I have never had any problems whatsoever about Nintendo Switch online. Everything works just fine. Sure, sometimes you'll team up with someone with a terrible connection, but I've experienced that on Xbox as well. So I'm thinking it's so, <clears throat> so I'm thinking it's wrong to blame Nintendo for the bad reception. Perhaps you should blame the USA's infrastructure. Love the podcast, Never Stop, five-star review. Mark, what do you think? I think that uh, that's really interesting. I don't know. I don't know enough about Nintendo's, like, network and yes. where they have, like, servers and how, like, all of that works to really have an educated opinion. Not that it stopped ever stopped me on this show no, before. No, have the opinion, Mark. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would, I would buy that that's definitely part of it, for sure. I, so, so, the thing is, I do think that's part of it, but... I have played PlayStation games online before with, uh, way less, um, way fewer issues. Um, like, uh, there was a time where I was playing Ghost of Tsushima online a lot with my friends. Um, and, uh, like we never dropped, I never like lost frames or anything right. like that. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think, and those are like complicated visually, like, but they're also like, I'm hardwired in on, on the PlayStation. Yeah, I, so it would not surprise me if it's a number of contributing factors, yeah. right, that all kind of add up to shaky experiences for yeah. people. Because I think the fact that the Switch, the original Switch especially, has like notoriously cheap Wi-Fi components. Well, and so this, this is what this is where the uh, this is where the this is the the heart of the question. Is it is it notoriously bad because we're just experiencing bad internet or because the components actually are bad? No. So I think it's a combination of like three things. So I think that the components are not the best, right? And so um, that's a contributing factor, but all things else being equal, I don't think it'd be a problem. However, I think that Nintendo, if they're, And this is all speculation, but if their investment in online in the back end matches their investment in like the front end, then I think that they're still way behind where other companies are as far as like infrastructure goes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a contributing factor. And again, maybe if like, you know, I think, and then the third thing. Is I don't know what their server setup is like, right? So yeah. maybe if you're in Europe, there's more servers, and so there's less lag. But in the U.S., the servers are more spread out to try to you know like cover well, the entire area. And, and so, they they they're on uh, like AWS, right? I mean, just like basically I would is. guess so, yeah. but I but I don't know for sure. But yeah, so I would maybe if like each if one of these things is wrong, but the other two are fine, your experience is fine. But yes. you know, in certain areas, and when the new, two of them start to get yeah, bad, yeah. exactly. Then maybe, but again. I have no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, look, Mark and I uh, are totally comfortable blaming U.S. infrastructure for, (laughs) like, any uh, problem that we encounter. Um, So, uh, yeah, we'll say that's a contributing factor to a a bad Nintendo online experience. And we also got an email from Patty D. Patty D writes, hi, Patrick. Sorry. I was going to say hi, Patrick and Mark, but it's actually addressed to Mark and Patrick. So I, I I was going with like our show standard style, which is always my name first and then your name, um, but uh, he, he addresses it. Hi, Mark and Patrick. I was listening to the latest episode, and Patrick was talking uh, about talking about being on somewhat of a GBA kick at the moment and ask for some ideas about games to play. I'm not sure about your thoughts on these types of games, but a couple of games that, uh, that you don't already own and aren't ports would be Advance Wars and Fire Emblem. Each had a couple of entries on the system. Advance Wars is great. And since nobody knows when the switch remakes will be released, this is the only way to play the first two games. Fire Emblem is Fire Emblem, but older and with permadeath, um, which is weird to think about since, uh, (laughs) since death is, uh, conceptually permanent. Anyway, uh PSA that the 3DS and Wii U e shops uh lose the ability to add any funds on the 29th another great episode patty d so two things there one august 29th last day to add funds to your um Nintendo Switch a good reminder a good reminder yes not Nintendo Switch uh the, uh, the 3DS and uh Wii U e shops which uh, you would have to do indirectly now because you can't do it with the credit. because you can't do it with credit cards but i think would you still be able to add funds to your uh, Switch eShop account and use the funds that way when they're all linked together? Because that's how I have been doing it since it stopped accepting credit cards. I think now through the 29th, yes, that is true. Interesting. 29th is very close. Yeah, only a few days away. Only a few days away. Um, I, So I do have both uh, Advance Wars, Advance Wars 2. I said both, but uh, this is two sets of both, Fire Emblem and Fire Emblem Sacred Stones on the uh, Wii U, the GBA, um, uh, virtual console. Uh, and I like those games, but I do think it would be more fun to play them like handheld genuinely on the go than on my Wii U gamepad. Uh, so the, uh, so Patty D, those are good suggestions. Thank you. Um, Mark, are you ready to get into our topic today? Yeah, let's do it. Let's dig in to the sixth year of Nintendo console libraries. So I'm not sure I've we've come up with the best way to uh, clearly articulate what the premise is here. And I don't think I did a good job just before going in, into, into the break, into the music here. What we're doing is, look, we're uh, actually nearing the end of the sixth year of the Switch's life cycle right now. Um, and that is sort of a... We're out far enough that we are at the outer reaches of most console generations, uh, especially in, in Nintendo's past, where by the sixth year, the next piece of hardware is already out, um, or the next piece of hardware is like on the imminent horizon, and the games that are coming out on them represent uh, something about the state of that console. So we thought we would go back through the console generations and identify a game or two uh, from the sixth years that uh, paint a picture of what it was like to be playing those, these things at that time, or just a game that we wanted to talk about. Um, Maybe our favorite game from, from that. Like it's, it's, it's hard to say. I I don't know what Mark's list is. He doesn't know what my list is. We're being very secretive here. Yeah. But I I think that's a good summation. And once we get into it, It'll all start to make sense. All things will become clear. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played uh, like a, a complicated board game? and uh, like at the beginning of the instructions, which are like six pages long and like a little stapled booklet, it says, like once you begin playing, all things will become clear? Yes, yeah, that's what this is. Yes. So uh, you know, get your twelve sided dice ready and uh, you know, make sure you've got enough tokens to uh, to follow along. We're playing this thing. Mark, let's start with the NES originally released fall nineteen eighty five so that we're putting the sixth year. Between fall fall 1990 and fall 1991, so games that released in that period. Right, and the NES is obviously, like, uh, difficult to pinpoint when exactly it came out because it sort of trickled out in test markets starting in like New York um in the the fall of 85 but we're just counting generally fall 85 um, so yes fall 90 to fall 91 mark what do you what have you got you, you, you let's let's, let's what do you want you go first okay so the game that i picked is a combo cartridge that we've talked about Ooh. on this show before. It's Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and World Class Track Meet, which were all released on one cartridge in December of 1990. Wow! Wow! What a good pick! So, the reason I picked this one is this is actually the version of the console that my parents bought for us. So, Same. it wasn't until 1990 that I had an NES. Um, And before that, like, I was too young to know what a Nintendo was. And so, you know, we didn't own any video game consoles. Before that, I was not up on, like, marketing or anything like that. Like, I had no idea Nintendo existed. And then this NES dropped in our lap. And this combo, uh, this cartridge, came in a bundle, essentially, that was sold by Nintendo that included this cartridge with the three games, the Power Pad, Mm -hmm. and the Light Gun Zapper. Yes. So that way you could play world-class track meet and Duck Hunt. And so and it also came with just a single controller, right? I don't remember. I don't remember if it had one or two controllers. Yeah, because I actually don't remember growing up. I want to say we had two controllers, but I honestly can't remember for sure if yeah. we had two NES controllers or not. Yeah, it's weird. not a lot of two-player games that we we didn't own a lot of simultaneous like co-op two-player games. Yeah, but I felt like everyone had the two controllers, right? So, so maybe the bundle did come with two at maybe that it point. did Be- well when you think of sorry just uh j- jump in a second that like the famicom in japan had the two controllers that were hardwired in you couldn't even unplug them so like maybe that was just part of that they were like oh yeah you got to give them two yeah i mean i genuinely don't know if just a regular nintendo entertainment system in 1985 came with two yeah i'm did not it? sure i don't, I know. don't know um the the reason that I picked this one and being in December 1990 so not that far away from the Super Nintendo's release at this point right is that uh, the NES had reached such saturation and they had had such success that at this point they were like bundling all of these things together yes to make it like I mean it worked on my parents right like it was marketable enough it it had. Yeah, it, it was. there was so much Nintendo stuff out there. The NES was so dominant that they had sold so many of them that now they were kind of, like, looking for other ways to repackage what they already had. Yeah, well, and, like, looking to reach into those uh, non-video game playing markets, too, right? Like, that's right? what World Class Track Meet is all about. And sort of what the uh, Light Gun and Duck Hunt is about, too, is, like... Oh, reach out to people who have like messed around with like a, you know, a gun shooty game in an arcade or something, which is a different audience than, because everyone sort of intuitively understands like you point a thing and pull a trigger, right? Like that, that makes sense. Um, So yeah, those are both just like easier points of access for non-gamers. Yeah, absolutely. Which basically everyone was at this time in, in 1990. Like no one was, no, there were look, no one identified as a gamer in 1990, right. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great pick, Mark. I love it. Um, my pick. So I, I have one that I know counts and then one that's like a little bit out, just a little bit outside. Okay. Um, so the one that counts for sure, Battletoads, uh, came out in June of 1991. You know, I'm never going to miss an opportunity to talk about Battletoads. Um, but the thing that's so interesting about Battletoads to me is that you can tell that it is pushing what the NES is capable of um in that like every level was a different gameplay style um and there were these like giant sprites of like enemy characters that like were way bigger than something you would see in you know other other games um and it was just a punishingly difficult um just like savage game that i loved to death uh i love 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 battle toads um and there's also something so like uniquely 1991 about the way it's just like ripping off the Ninja Turtles in aesthetic and just like trying to get a little piece of that pie, right? Um, so for me, that, that game is just qu- quintessentially 1991. Um, but then the other game... That I have, and this came out in November '91, so it's probably like on on the outside of of the sixth year, like beginning of this of the seventh year, um, is the NES game Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. Have we talked about Prince of Thieves? <laughs> no, we haven't. Oh my God! So this is another game that is like from level to level a totally different kind of game it is primarily like an, an overhead game it, it recounts the uh the story of uh, robin hood prince of thieves the kevin costner movie also from 1991 um so it is primarily like overhead like a like a zelda like uh kind of rpg but then it snaps into battles that are almost street fighter-esque like as you're doing a one-on-one fight against like the jailkeeper or little john or the sheriff of nottingham or whatever um and then there are all these like horse chase sequences, some from the side, some from above. Um, It's just like a crazy game that presents you with like maybe a dozen different gameplay styles, all to like represent the story of this pretty crappy Robin Hood movie, <laughs> but a Robin Hood movie that was so big and so successful. It was. In the 90s. It was so yeah. successful. So I uh, uh, I love those picks. Battle toads. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? So. I didn't become aware of Battletoads until I was probably in my teens, late teens, like, you know, when websites dedicated to bad video games or like that sort of thing started popping up. I'm curious, like, what, how were you exposed to Battletoads? Was it in Nintendo Power? Because 91 is pretty late. It's probably in Nintendo Power. Um, But uh, it's, I mean, I was so plugged into Ninja Turtle stuff that like, You know, I I tried all of... Like, anything that had uh, anthropomorphic, like, animal warriors in it, I was there. So, like... I don't know. I probably just street like, sharks. Absolutely, street sharks. Uh, those like uh, the the oh, I forget what the, the cowboys. There's, they're like cows that are. Do you remember <laughs> these guys? Um, like and anything. I like I, I didn't care. Right. It, it could be bad, and I was like, yes, that's me. So I feel like I just felt vibrations in the force, and I was like, there's a new one of that's these things amazing. out there, um, and so I was drawn to it. Um, and I, I remember um, my my friends Scott and Reed um where the, the three of us were very much into battletoads early on and like trying to unlock because the 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 difficulty spike in the game is on level three, right? Of twelve. Um and that that's the infamous uh, like hover bike section where you just have to memorize um the, the track ahead of you and even once you have it memorized, you have to execute it almost perfectly uh, in order to get through it. Um and it was one of those things that I set my you know, nine-year-old attention span to, and I just did it. I just obsessed over it and learned how to do it, which then unlocked it for me, you know, years later when I picked it back up in college, uh, and I was like, I'm going to get good at Battletoads again. And I didn't have to relearn the hover bike sequence because I still knew it. It was still in my fingers, yeah, That's amazing. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, that's, I could talk about Battletoads all day. I won't subject you to it, um, but I... I I do think it is unfairly maligned, um, largely by... and look, is it is it fair to say that the third level is too hard and that you give up and don't experience the rest of the game? Like, yeah, absolutely. That's fair. Um, but the rewards on the other side of that level are so great. If they could just take that game and tone down the difficulty in the third level or give you, like, a rewind function or whatever, um, I think the rest of the game would be heralded as the classic that it should be. That's so interesting. I wonder if some of its reputation was kind of, like... Uh, well, lack of a better term, poisoned by that the reputation yeah. it had when I became aware of it, whereas like a joke game instead yes. of you yeah. know uh, because it's so difficult and because it's impossible to beat in co-op. It because is of those, yes, like that is you also know what true. I mean, like <laughs> level those... eleven is physically you cannot uh, progress as two players. Yes, but yeah. I uh, another thing just I want to point out in the NES in general, before we move on is that we're talking about its sixth year in 1991, but the last game for it wasn't released until December, 1994. And this is Wario's woods, um, which uh, I, I also was set down like a little bit of a wormhole. Cause we, we've talked about this a couple times that like, I can never remember if Zoda's revenge or, uh, so, uh, Star Topics Two or Wario's Woods are are the the last game that came out on the system in 1994. It is Wario's Woods. Wario's Woods came out so late that it is the first, it is the only NES game to have an ESRB rating. Wow, isn't that amazing? That is so crazy. <laughs> it's printed right there on the box. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, like 1994. Not not only is uh, Wario's Woods, the last first-party game on a, on the NES. It's the last game to have the last NES game to have the Nintendo seal of quality on it. Wow, and the first to have a uh, ESRB rating. Yeah, that's so crazy, isn't it nuts? Um, Mark, before we move on to the Game Boy, which is obviously the next, I just wanted to touch on Game and Watch for a second. Um, cause I was like, is there anything interesting in the Game & Watch's sixth year Game & Watch? First one released in April of 1980. Ball, of course. Uh, and a handful of others. Um, but the sixth year feels like kind of a slump to me. Um, so that is, uh, Tropical Fish, Blackjack, Squish, uh, in, in 85 and then early, uh, 86 is, um, the Super Mario Bros, um, Climber and Balloon fight. Um, so like, not really any of the games that we were excited about uh, when, when we had our, our Game & Watch month. But, Mark, because it's my birthday today and because I was born in 1982, I just want to shout out what a banger year the Game & Watch had in 1982. I'm breaking the format and I'm sorry. Here are the games that came out on Game & Watch in 1982. Turtle Bridge. Fire Attack. Forget Fire Attack. Snoopy Tennis. Oil Panic. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong Jr. Mickey and & Donald and Greenhouse. It's a good year. It's a killer year for the game and watch. Nineteen eighty-two, which makes sense because you said the first ones were released in eighty. Yeah. So you know they had a couple years underneath their belt. Also, they seems like they were kind of like churning these things out. Yeah. So at that point, you know, they were probably like they had figured it out what made a good game Mm -hmm. and watch game, and And, what's really actually putting it out. Uh, Also, just eighty-two, like a good like Blade Runner thriller, ET. Yeah. Okay, we get it. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Uh, I'll stop torching uh, you with my birthday stuff. <laughs> uh, the original Game Boy. Released April 1989. So it putting its sixth year between April 1994 and April 1995. Yes. Something to point out here is that Pokemon was four years away from the start of like that April 1994. So Game Boy was in a weird place. Game Boy was already in a... Already in its, like, late-stage, like, dementia, and then Pokemon comes, al- comes along and just, like, revives it, um, necessitating, like, a redesign of the system and eventually the-, the Game Boy Color, all of that is driven by Pokemon. Um, and then you could argue that uh, every <laughs> handheld release uh, from then on is, like, chasing that Pokemon high. Um, but, yeah, Mark, what do you have for your uh, sixth-year game here? So the, th- the one I picked is not one that I've actually played, But I feel like it's so, just by the title alone, you're like, yep, that sounds like where the Game Boy would be, you know, kind of in its fallow period before Pokemon was released, but it's been out for so long. The game I picked is Jurassic Park Part 2, The Chaos Continues, (laughs) released in December 1994. Wow. a, A sequel that was made for the Super Nintendo, but then like a a uh, Game Boy version was created that just continues the story of Jurassic Whoa. Park because Jurassic Park is still such a phenomenon yeah. at this point. Plus, when you look at... um, what, what is, Was it modeled off the Super NES Jurassic Park game? I don't know if it was... No, so there was a Super NES Jurassic Park game also called Jurassic Park Part 2, The Chaos Continues. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but is that a sequel to the Super NES Jurassic Park game or is it just like its own game? Because the Super NES Jurassic Park is, uh, like, half um, overhead, sort of, like, -like, Zelda-like, and half first-person shooter? Yeah, I I do not know. The Game Boy version is, like, a side-scroller. So you go through four different zones on different parts of the island, which I'm assuming is just the same island as from the previous game. That sounds like the Genesis version of the Jurassic Park games, where you could play as uh, Grant or as the Raptor. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so the reason, again, like why I like Jurassic Park part two, the cast continues is I think it is such a good snapshot of pop culture in 1994 where kids are still, obs- and the world is still obsessed with Jurassic Park and dinosaurs, but also a good illustration of where the Game Boy is at, where it's like, yes, Nintendo has some stuff, um, that came like a little bit outside of the one year period we have here, but for the most part, Nintendo is not really making a lot of first party games for the Game Boy. And except they make one of the best Game Boy games during this period, yeah. But I don't think, which I think we're talking about, uh, Donkey, Donkey Kong 94, 94, yeah. But I, my memory, anyways, is that when Donkey Kong 94 came out, I don't whether it reviewed well or not, you know, like I don't think that it has the reputation. that it had the reputation then that it has today yes so i do a double pick here which is both donkey kong 94 and which came out in june 94 and mario's pick cross which came out in march 1995 both games which were bangers but would take a couple years to be recognized as the truly revolutionary things that they are mario's pick cross pick cross is a series that i didn't realize i needed in my life until like i don't know We started doing the show, I guess, Um, so six years ago. Um, So, yeah, for for me, like, this period is, yes, about the sort of, like, uh, pop culture tie-in shovelware, um, but it is also about Nintendo quietly doing great work. Um, And, you know, that's sort of where the Game Boy is until Pokemon comes out, right? Like, and there's, like, the great work again, Um, Just coming out and selling so many Game Boys that, like, it goes on to live for another, like, five years after that. Yeah. Um, So, those are my picks. Mark, are you ready to move on to the Super NES? Yes. Uh, Super NES originally released September 1991. So, our sixth year here is September 96 to September 97. Um, Mark, what do you have for your your six-year game here? I picked a November 1996 game which is Donkey Kong Country 3 Dixie Kong's Double Trouble. Yeah. And the reason I picked this one is because by 1996, especially by like November 1996, Rare's A Team Nintendo's A Teams, they were all turning their attention to the Nintendo 64. And so, yep. you know, Dixie Kong's Double Trouble is really uh the other team at Rare, you know like getting their shot to step up and create this game that feels like the stakes were lower than, like, a Donkey Kong Country 2. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, it's a little bit of... Anytime there's these cross-generational games where the new system is already out or just about to be out, and so that's what's getting, like, all of the press, you always have, you know, these late first-party published titles that... Kind Just of occupy have, like, a weird space. Occupy a weird space. Have kind of like a sour reputation, you know, because it's not well. In Donkey Kong Country Three, Brit- like has a chip on its shoulder too, right? Um, we when you save, you save at Wrinkly Kong's house. Whatever you do at Wrinkly's house, um, she's playing Mario sixty four on her Nintendo sixty four, and you can hear the music of Peach's Castle like playing in sort of a sixteen bit style within the game, um, which like is cool, but it's kind of like. The game being like, don't you wish you were playing Nintendo <laughs> right, 64? Right. So, yeah, I, I feel like uh, Dick, uh, Donkey Kong Country 3 just pi- p- paints a really good picture about what, like, support in these cross-generational yeah. moments looks like a lot of time. Uh, but I think this is another one where the game itself, I think, better than its reputation. I think so, too. I, I remember it's, we, got, it's got a bad reputation. I think we played it for the first time. Time or at least yeah. like I played it for mm-hmm. the first time all the way through when it was released on uh, Nintendo Super Nintendo like Nintendo Switch Online. Yep, um, and I really liked it, but I think it's partly because like it had such a bad reputation going right. into it, right? That it was easy to overlook its flaws. Um, so before I like actually dug into like the specific dates here i thought for sure my answer to this question was going to be super mario rpg but it's too early super mario rpg came out in may of 96 so it's uh, a couple months too early to be in in the sixth year um but both kirby superstar and kirby's dreamland 3 fall into this window so like kirby as an entity just like a, a general entity is like a harbinger of like the end of a, a console generation. Although Kirby's also just, like, omnipresent, so, like, maybe that's an unfair uh, thing to say. But the game that I actually picked here, and the one I really want to talk about, is Harvest Moon. Uh, came out in June 1997. Um, and, you know, Mark, you're, you're right that by uh, by the sixth year, Nintendo had mostly moved on, from um, supporting the uh, Super NES. Uh, we are also seeing the like total exodus of Square Enix um, as they would not work with Nintendo for like kind of a while. Um, so there was like a RPG shaped hole in the system's lineup. And not to say that Harvest Moon is an RPG necessarily, but like, I mean, it's it's the first farming sim that like I ever played um, and is just such a like fun, like experience that you can just like sink tons and tons of hours into. Did you ever play the original Harvest Moon? No, I never played the original. I played, um, uh, friends of mineral town on the game boy advance, which is that a remake of the first game or not remake, but kind of like, a I have no idea. Glow up of the first game. Uh, Uh, The original Harvest Moon is the only one I've ever played. Oh, okay. Um, And I loved it. I I loved the insane restrictions on it. You could only, you had to name all of your cows, but they could only have four letter names. (laughs) So like the first couple cows are Moo and Milk always. (laughs) Uh, And then then you got to get creative. You only have four letters to do it. Um, You have a dog, you can get married, you know, you have a horse. All these things are great. And it's a farming sim. Like what's not to love? One thing that's interesting about the Super Nintendo is that it didn't have much of a life past right. the release of the N64. Like, if you look at a list of games that were released, like 1997 was the last time that there were multiple releases. And then, at least on Wikipedia, they list one game in October of 1998. What is it? Frogger. <laughs> that came out in October. <laughs> right. And then of course since the Super NES is so like iconic there have been like other like way later releases, but um yeah, that's a uh, Frogger. That's incredible. Um but yeah, I mean I think the the Nintendo 64 was so like specific and by the time that it came out, the PlayStation was already uh, like staking its ground and like people just wanted 3d graphics it's kind of why you didn't see um a lot of like 2d or pixel based games on those platforms at all just because like that wasn't uh in vogue anymore yeah didn't playstation at least in the united states kind of have like a rule where oh i, I don't know. know like against 2d games i think they did i mean whether they had a rule or not it was like why it, that's that's not what's sold right you know um so now the next on next on the list is the Nintendo sixty four, but let's just pour one out quickly for the Virtual Boy. I think we should. I added it to my list as well. Did you? Yes, because I just felt like we needed to talk about it. The Virtual Boy originally released in August of uh, nineteen ninety five. We could do six months <laughs> after it came out. It Feels like that'd be scraping even uh, then. Yeah, I... six. The sixth month, uh, Nestor's Funky Bowling came out in February nineteen ninety six. That's the penultimate game that came out on the platform. Three <laughs> uh, D Tetris would Come out in March of 1996, but yeah, so like seven months of support is yeah, because it was Boy released got. in August 1995. Yes, I do like to imagine what like a June 2020 or June 2001 to <laughs> June 2002 or you know, like August or whatever would yeah. um release would look like, maybe. Nestor's Funky Bowling Six at this point. I assume it'd be a yearly franchise. So, wait, we're talking 2001 to 2002. Uh huh. Uh, geez. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like some sort of like 3D Paper Mario thing or something? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's a. It's. It's. It's a grim proposition. Uh, sorry to drag you through that Virtual Boy, but like we just had to bring you up. Um, Mark nineteen ninety uh, Nintendo sixty four originally released June nineteen ninety six, which means its sixth year is June two thousand one to June two thousand two. Oh, I think I did the. Oh yes, so it would have been two thousand to two thousand one yes, for Virtual yeah. Boy. Yeah. Um. In any event, six releases during this period total. <laughs> For the Nintendo 64 in the United States. Right. So I have one pick that is not cheating, and then I've got two that are cheating. Okay, I have one pick that is not cheating, and it is the only release, I think, for the Nintendo 64 in 2002. Is it Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3? It is, My pick is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. (laughs) Which came out in... August of 2001. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it just barely fits the criteria. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And anyone who played these games played them on PlayStation, right? Right. I mean, I had the first Tony Hawk's Pro Skater for the N64, and so that is the version, because I didn't know the PlayStation, that that is the version I played the most. Um, but Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, 3, I just think it's amazing that, according to Wikipedia, it was the last N64 release in the United States, yeah, period. Yeah, I believe it. In 2002. Yeah. So crazy. In, in its sixth year. Like, it is... Yeah, this is part of, like, what this exercise is about, but, like, just consider that the Switch is still getting huge support in its sixth year. Um, Kind of nothing that we've laid out so far is huge support, right? Like, there are some, like, quirky fun titles, and then there's something like the Nintendo 64, which is just, like, not at all. And it was the Nintendo 64! Yeah. Like um even uh digging through like the end of the fifth year um it's like paper mario and you know far and away like the best one on here um and like conquers bad fur day in um march of 2001 wow um but like otherwise it's there's really not much there um and part of that is just like the bad bet that nintendo made with the nintendo 64 um of uh sticking with cartridges and like you know I I, I I was that a bad bet like it made it made it made them very specific in a way that they didn't need to be at that time um but yeah it just means they couldn't support it for 6 years yeah i mean no no even late nintendo first party release which right. they i feel like a, a, they usually do yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're obviously they're changing so much to change over to the GameCube, um so much of just like that infrastructure it changes. Yeah. Um and what they can fit on a disc versus what they could fit on a cartridge, like it's all it's all totally different. Yep. Um next up is the Game Boy Color, which originally came out in October 1998. Uh this, Which would theoretically make the sixth year October 2003 to uh, October 2004. Uh, there, are no, there are no games. Yeah, literally nothing. Literally nothing released in this period. And maybe not fair to single out the Game Boy Color as like a separate console release. I don't know. What do you think about that, Mark? It has a discrete library. Yeah, Nintendo likes like nowadays when they're talking about the sales of the Game Boy. You know, yeah, they you lump know, them together. They lump them together, but I I always kind of think of them as separate systems. Yeah, and the the DS and the DSi those are like that lump together. We yeah, lump, so, We don't. We don't uh, yeah, separate so maybe, them in this list. So even though I think of them as separate, maybe they are the same. Maybe they are the same. Yeah. Uh, Next up, Game Boy Advance, originally released March 2001, making the sixth year, March 2006 to March 2007. Uh, Mark, I'm curious what you put for this one. Okay, this is kind of like another Jurassic Park This Part 2, the story continues, or whatever. Is this that Shrek game? No, it's not the Shrek game. Of course it's not Shrek. I would never do anything like that. It's Ghost Rider. They released in February 2007, which uh, was just a delightful reminder to me that there was a Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider movie. Two of them. Um, Oh, that's right. They brought him back because they were like... The problem There's was more the story, story here. Yes. Just like there were two Punisher movies. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. They, they couldn't take a single crack at these things. Uh, yeah. Even that uh, Abysmal Daredevil movie had the Elektra sequel, right? Yeah, that's right. Or spinoff or whatever. That's right. Um, so, yeah. So, I picked Ghost Rider from February 2007. <laughs> uh, published, that published sounds good. Published by Take Two. But, again, <laughs> I, I feel like it's just a um a real snapshot of pop culture. In yeah. 2007. Not that the Ghost Rider movie was like a overwhelming success or anything, but like where Marvel Studios was at the time, right. and like that these types of movies were still getting made. And then also, the Game Boy Advance by February 2007 is really reaching the point where Nintendo doesn't have a lot for it, third parties don't have a lot for it. It's reaching that kind of like successful handheld spot where there's just so much licensed and you know yes. kind of like shovelware going on which i mean and you know this is 3 years into the ds's life cycle so like you know the, and they, when they had introduced the nintendo ds they were like this is the third pillar of like nintendo really hardware. hedging their bets but but didn't need to because it was a behemoth success um and like they tapered off on uh, supporting the Game Boy Advance pretty quick. and Not not too dissimilar to what happened with the Nintendo 3DS and the Switch, yeah. where they clearly were planning for some Nintendo 3DS support later into the Nintendo 3DS's life. Then the Switch came out and sucked up all the oxygen, and anything right. released on the Nintendo 3DS might as well have just been dead. Right. And so uh, so they got- really just like curbed... Yeah. Support really quickly. I mean, but they still su- like we say really quickly, but there's, st- there was still stuff coming out into 2018. Like it just, no one was buying it. Yeah, Like they were almost trying to like will the platform's life, uh, longer than, uh, it, it was ever, ever going to last. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, ghost riders, a great pick. I'd love to play that game. That sounds like a ton of fun. Um, I am cheating here. I'm going with game, uh, final fantasy six advance. um, which is just Final Fantasy VI uh, on on the Game Boy Advance with like a few little tweaks and changes here and there. Um, uh, Final Fantasy VI is a borderline perfect game, um, and if you can play it, uh, if you could play it at that time without having to deal with like PlayStation loading, um, that was the perfect way to play it. I have never played the Game Boy Advance version of Place of Final Fantasy VI. Do you know? Neither have I. Oh, I, I was just gonna, and that's totally okay. I was mm-hmm. just gonna ask if you knew, like, if there were differences or anything like that or if it was a pretty faithful port but we don't have to dwell on it because neither of us played it right Uh, I, I did like a little bit of research to try and figure out if there was anything different um and there are a few more espers there are a few more spells some glitches are fixed um there's like an extra dragon to battle um so it seems like it's pretty faithful um which is good like the the game doesn't need too many changes um, but just to be able to have it on the go. I mean, I love that pick because one of the things that was really special for me about the Game Boy Advance is it was it didn't have a virtual console, obviously, right? But it did. It was the first time that they were like re-releasing.
1: A bunch Uh, of NES games. A bunch
0: of NES games. They were porting some Super Nintendo games, Mm -hmm. like Link to the Past, like all that kind of stuff. And you could play it handheld and on the go for the first time. And that was really cool. And like the cornerstone of the library was the Super Mario Advance series. They made four of them, and they're just ports of previous Super Mario Brothers games. Yeah. But you just didn't have the opportunity to like play those in handheld before. Like That was a big deal. So being able to play something like Final Fantasy VI on the go, that is awesome. Yeah, well, and also just to be able to play, like especially in 2007 when it came out, February 2007, that that is long enough away from the original release of the game that uh, you it wasn't likely that you would be able to find a cart that you weren't going to have to spend like $100 on. And then, you know, I guess there were always the, uh, uh, I, I forget if it's called Final Fantasy Anthology or Final Fantasy, there were two of them on, on PlayStation 2 collections. Uh, one of them that had like, uh four and six and another that had like five and chrono trigger i may have those uh pairings wrong but um they were would have been great versions of the games if they didn't have to load into every fight scene uh which just killed the momentum and for me made them unplayable um but yeah this is a a perfect way to do that on the gba next up is the gamecube Originally released September 2001, which means that the sixth year is December 2006 to, sorry, September 2006 to September 2007. Mark, what's your poll here? Okay, I picked Baton Kaito's Origins, Mm, which released in in September 2006, the sequel to the original Baton Kaito's game by Monolith Soft which uh, is yes. now creating the Xenoblade Chronicle games and helping out Nintendo on a bunch of different games, like they worked on Breath of the Wild, for example. Um, the reason I chose this one is two. I rem- at this point, this was towards the end of Nintendo Power, but this was when I was subscribed oh, to Nintendo sure. Power. Um, I didn't have it. Mark, er- we were like, ships in the night. Uh, yes, totally. <laughs> I-, I did not have it earlier at all, um, but... I was subscribed at this point, and there were not, yes, uh, Twilight Princess was releasing 2006, but, you know, the Wii was right on the horizon. Nobody was sure. Yes, like, they were hyping up the Wii and everything like that, but nobody was, nobody knew the Wii was going to become the phenomenon that it was. It was still this kind of, like, weird system that was trying to do something completely different right you know it had the reputation of two game cubes duct taped together you know it was just like it was a weird it was another one of those weird nintendo transitory periods where they didn't have they were not focusing on the game cube anymore so other than twilight princess which was this cross-generational game that would be available on game cube but was a really important launch title for Wii as well. Yep. You know, Nintendo was publishing just, like, these curiosities, like, Batenkaido's Origins, and they were hyping the heck out of it because that's, like, all All they had. That's all they had. Um, I just went with Twilight Princess on this because I'm a coward, but also because it demonstrates that, like, the sixth year of the GameCube's uh, release was a Wii game. You know, like... Nintendo was transforming itself from a classic console manufacturer to something new. And so even anything that they were putting out on their old stuff was part of the something new. Um, and so that's, that's why I went with, with Twilight Princess. But you're like thinking about them just being like, yeah, I don't know, put this out there. Um, and it's not even the, the first Bait and Kaidos game. It's a sequel to it. Um, it's is very funny to me. Up next is the Nintendo DS, originally released November two thousand four, meaning the sixth year that we're counting is November two thousand nine to November two thousand ten. Uh, this was uh, this one was a challenge for me. Uh, the, you know this one this one was a challenge for me too. So the one thing that's interesting is that the list of DS games on the Wikipedia page has to be broken up into four tables. Yeah. There are so many games released for the Nintendo DS. Right. But they start to dwindle out in the sixth year. That like there are fewer and fewer releases, and certainly further uh, fewer and fewer releases of note or of any kind of consequence. Um, which is what made it tough for me. I I wanted to, um, uh, but like my instinct was like Bowser's Inside Story or uh, GTA Chinatown Wars, but they were both early enough in two thousand nine that they fall outside yeah. of of the uh, of the exercise. Um, so I'm curious what, where you landed, Mark. I had a hard time picking. Uh, a game for this um you know go looking back on this because i remember having a lot to play on my ds all the time and maybe because it was there was there were so many games and there were heavy hitters through a lot of its life but looking through this specific time period it reminded me of the wii where it you know like started really strong but by the end was kind of like nintendo wasn't publishing a ton for it uh third parties had kind of like moved off of it, and so you were getting like the a weird mix of stuff, yeah, which I guess is the story for a lot of six years It's true and like this is also where the the inputs of the of the original d s like where you run up against the limit of there's no analog uh, there's no analog stick on it not even the analog slider that we eventually see on the on, on the 3ds um, and when they would try to like fake it using the the touch screen either in um, the Mario 64 um, DS or like Metroid Prime Hunters um, that like it's just this like ungainly mess that like doesn't feel good um, and uh, largely doesn't work um, so I I think I think the need like the biggest need that the 3DS filled was like here's some analog co- directional control. So here the, the like two games in give this me time two games, Mark. Give me two games. One is Band Hero, that released in November <gasps> 2009. Wow. So you know it, by this point, Rock Band was out. Yeah. Guitar Hero had been an enormous success, mm-hmm. but was trying to figure out. How it like moved into the rock band, like doing more than just guitars, and the way that they do it on the DS is actually really funny. So in the bottom, uh, Game Boy like Game Boy Advance slot, you put in, you slotted in this accessory that had like four buttons on it. Mm-hmm. So kind of similar to what was on a Guitar Hero guitar. And then just you, minus one, uh uh-huh, yeah. And you mm-hmm. can use like a a pick to strum the touchscreen. But then it had these like four buttons coming out of the bottom. That, well, it, um, it was a pick that was a stylus. Like it came yeah, with uh-huh. the game. Yes, I definitely had Guitar Hero on tour. I'm interested to hear about uh band tour or you, band hero. Yeah, so band hero. Then it also had drums. And this was like another accessory that was like that a, plugged into the. the it what, didn't plug in. It was an overlay. Like uh, almost think of it as like a faceplate for yeah. the bottom half of your Nintendo sure, DS. Sure, yeah. And so you know, so it pushed down on little discrete places on the touchscreen. R- no, no, not on the touchscreen. On the buttons on the side. What? Yeah. So it was like four round circles that kind of looked like you know the drums drum that you heads, would see. Yeah. Uh huh. But then they must have been like tr- hitting the face buttons on the controller. And then the third piece was vocals and. I don't think there was an accessory for vocals, just no, like the microphone, microphone within, built in. like yeah. the Nintendo DS. And so, uh, the reason I chose Band Hero is because I think it's a good kind of mix of the kind of third-party stuff that was releasing on the DS at this point in its life, plus such a snapshot of yeah. the Guitar Hero slash rock band kind of like mania that was really beginning to peak at this point yeah there were so many plastic accessories there were so many versions of like rock band and guitar hero being released um so i so i chose band hero the second one i chose was just because it was like oh yeah i remember that that was like a thing do you remember and there's no reason anybody should do you remember zuzu pets sure the little, like, robotic hamster, yeah. like, toys that, you know, I had younger siblings who w- were super into them. Um, and, yeah, it was just, like, like one of those, like, toy phenomenons for a couple of years. And so, Zuzu Pets, the game, was released in March 2010 on the Nintendo DS. Wow. But, like, they released four of them within a, you know, like, 18-month span. um Man. That's a weird poll, Mark. Do you have any idea what the gameplay was like in I, that? I don't. I'm assuming it was kind of like uh, Dogs, but for Zuzu Pets, but I don't know if that's true. The other thing that released in this period of note that is a Nintendo first-party release is Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Oh, really? Yeah. That wow. came out in uh, December 2009. Um, is that with, within our... I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. So... Uh... Pokemon Black and White came out in 2010 as as well. So like there's there's a Pokemon game here which is like the right answer, but uh you know we don't really re- really <laughs> g- care or connect with that. Um I like I said I had a hard time uh coming up with uh with one, but if you say Spirit Tracks, I may just claim Spirit Tracks. Yeah, that came out in December 2009. Um that's that's great, but I also just want to mention this um this visual novel from Chunsoft. Um, called nine. So it, it stylizes nine, 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 nine hours, nine persons, nine doors, um, and it's the beginning of the Zero Escape series. Um, and I was just reading up on how trippy and weird it is. Uh, a cool visual novel that I would like to play. It's supposed to be amazing. I think they're available on Steam. There was somebody in our. Oh, dis- yeah? There was somebody in our Discord uh, who was playing through all of them, or one in the series, or something like that. But I remember like reading about this nine 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 game, yeah. and hearing about it on like the One Up Show and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, I don't have any information about it, but it's now like it has piqued my interest, and now I, I want to get into it. What what lessons do we draw? What overall trends do we see in the in the sixth year of the DS? I don't think it's that dissimilar from a lot of the other sixth years that we've looked at, where it's like Nintendo's attention has been started to wander. Right. Um. Third parties have made their money on the system or figured out what didn't work. Like you said, you know, like Chinatown War is notoriously sold really poorly compared to right. Rockstar's, you know, expectations. But then they put it out on PSP and it was fine. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's this period where Nintendo occasionally will still release like a couple, you know, like a game like Spirit Tracks. But for the most part, it's kind of left to the devices of licensed, you know, titles yeah. and yeah. The third-party curiosities. Uh, Mark, let's move on to the Wii. We're, like, finally entering the modern era, which I know is, you know, 16 years ago at this point. So how modern is it, really? Um, So uh, the Wii came out in 2006, November 2006, which means the sixth year is November 2011 through November 2012. Mark, this is another place where I took the coward's way out, and I just picked The Legend of Zelda, The Skyward Sword, Mm -hmm. because it was... The example of the one game that Nintendo put out during this—I'm sure they put out others—but like this was the only like high-profile release. It's something that they had been teasing forever. Um, it had been shown at multiple E3s, and was just like, a, "My God, just give us the next Zelda!" Um, and then it was like. A little bit impenetrable at the time, uh, like didn't have a great reputation. Uh, sort of until its uh, re-release on the Switch. Yeah, it reviewed really well. Great, it ten reviewed, out of ten on IGN. Yeah, it reviewed yeah. really well, but then cut, went through this period of you know, especially I think at that point people were done with motion controls. Done with motion controls by the sixth year. Done with like the the Zelda like s- strict formula. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Yeah, so a, a weird time for Twilight Princess, or sorry, for um, Skyward Sword to be released. But, you know, you you say that when you're talking about Skyward Sword and how it was, like, released at the very end and was kind of like Nintendo's Last run, and a little bit of, like, come on already – I mean super similar to the story with the GameCube that we were talking about earlier, where, yeah. you know, yes, Nintendo was publishing other stuff, but it was almost out of like desperation to feel to fill their library. Y- they still had this major release on the horizon, but otherwise their attention had turned elsewhere to the right. Wii, you know? R- and r- here right, and with here. and here with the Wii, they were really turning their attention to the 3DS and the incredibly difficult, for all studios, but Nintendo was just doing it a generation later than everybody else, incredibly difficult change to HD. Yes. So the Wii, notoriously its last few years, had very few releases of Substance. And it's funny that you picked Skyward Sword, because I picked another like RPG that Nintendo was publishing in the U.S., out of desperation, and that's the last story. We should also just—that—that's uh, great. I didn't know if you were going to go last story or Xenoblade uh-huh. Chronicles. Um, but let's let's hear about the last I story. I mean, both. Could. Both are huge. Like points of desperation and uh, things that fans were asking for. Like, this is part of the Project Rainfall, right? Yeah. uh These games were out in uh, Europe, and they were like, why don't you bring these over? right. And it was like, yeah, just like, there's nothing releasing on the Wii. Like, bring these over. We want these games. Pandora's Tower was like another game. The reason I mentioned Europe is that it means that they were already localized in English. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, the last story is a game by Mistwalker Corporation, which is the company that Hironobu... Takaguchi, kind of like the father of Final Fantasy, created after he left uh, Square Enix. And I have never played it. It's one that I don't think has ever had a re-release, but would be amazing if it did because it's supposed to be really, really good. An amazing RPG that just came out in the United States at the worst possible time. Right. You know, when nobody was paying attention to the Wii. Yes. Worst possible time on the worst possible hardware for yeah. It. Um Yeah. which is all just, uh, th- I mean, that—that that is the story of the latter days of the Wii, right? That just, like, it, it wasn't, no one was playing games there anymore. Um, and if they were, they were still just playing Wii Sports. Yeah. And the in a lot of ways, like, the writing should have been on the wall for the Wii U, just how quickly that was like the casual players that gave the Wii so much life were dropping it because at that point, iPhone games were, you know, out like the iPhone 4 had just been released or was about to be released, which again was such a huge generational leap. The app store had games on it. The iPad existed, you know, like all of these things that the Wii U was kind of trying to tap into that part of the zeitgeist. And the DS. Yeah. That like, it was just like people were getting their fix elsewhere and at places that they just already had the, the new hardware because they needed a phone or whatever. Um, I also have a curious little note here that I don't think uh, like adds into the uh, narrative at all, but uh, a game from December of 2011 uh, called Fortune Street, which is a uh, like a Monopoly-like uh, developed by Square Enix featuring uh, Mario characters and Dragon Quest characters. That's all. We just yeah, I think it's a big series in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that only occasionally gets localized here. But yeah, like Monopoly, I've heard it described as like Mario Party esque, but I've never played it myself. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like there are mini games in it. Mm. Um, I, I watched some some gameplay to try and like wrap my head around it. And it's just like it looks like you're just moving around a board buying like stores and oh. stuff, and then other people land on the stores and they have to pay for, you know, shopping at your store. Oh wow. Um but, yeah, uh, that's just a, 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 another little game that I, I pulled out there. Mark, let's move on to the 3DS. Originally released March 2011, which makes its sixth year, March 2016 to March 2017. At this point, I picked Mario Party Star Rush, which oh. was released in November 2016. A, um, This is a good pick. So... The reason I picked this one is because it is, uh, I don't know, I guess I just feel like it's emblematic of the kind of support that Nintendo was giving the 3DS at yeah. this point in its life. You were getting a lot of, like, WarioWare Gold-esque things, which I actually, now that I say that, I don't know... Came if, later, right? Yeah, I don't know that this was a... um a uh, like best of compilation no, for but there, Mario Party. There was one of those and also came out later. I mean that I the part of the reason I had a tough time with this one is that the 3DS had such a rad long life that there are still bangers coming out in its 6th year. Um uh, this is a, a, another example of I wanted to pick uh, there was a game that I was like that's got to be in the 6th year Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia. Nope, 7th year. Uh, Oh wow! Came out in its seventh year, Um, and then Fire Emblem Fates came out the very end of the fifth year. So like getting strong, strong, strong Fire Emblem support just on either side of the sixth year. Um, But my pull, obviously, Mark, has to be from May 2016, Pocket Card Jockey. Oh yeah! Wow! Did it really come out that late? Yes. Wow. Um, uh, also worth noticing er, uh, noting that Kirby Planet Robobot and Boxbox Box Boy both came out in June 2016 and uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon were November 2016 um so like the 3DS even though you know that's approaching the the release of the Switch and what would eventually like kill it um going strong in its 60s. yeah man sun and moon yeah that that was a phenomenon like it was really ha- riding the the wave of Pokemon go at that point. Yeah, totally. Totally. That, that absolutely has to do with, uh, and, and you know, that uh, saying that sun and moon came out in November, 2016, that means that ultra sun and ultra moon are like another year away. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, the remakes of the Mario and Luigi games come out in 2017, 2018, um, uh, Metroid Samus returns, uh, comes out in 2000, late 2017. Um, so like, you know, even even though by like the very end it is drips and drabs, its end comes later than uh than most other Nintendo consoles that we. Yeah, see. that's true. That's a really good point. Um, now, Mark, d- do we do we dare do we bother subjecting the Wii U to this exercise? I I have one thing I do want to point out okay. for the Wii U. So originally released November twenty twelve, so it's 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 sixth year November twenty seventeen to November twenty eighteen. Even by November twenty seventeen. The Wii U was just an afterthought. Like, the Switch was everything. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Basically starting in March 2017 with the release of Breath of the Wild, which again, one of the greatest games of all time. Also available on the Wii U. Also available on the Wii U. But my pick... But that's it. That's the end. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) My pick is Just Dance 2019. (laughs) This is good. Which is the... uh, Also came out on Wii. Yes. that, That is the reason why I had to bring it up, is because... It it also came out on Wii, but Just Dance 2019, which was released in 2018, is the last Just Dance game, the last Ubisoft game to be published. I think maybe the last game to be published on the Wii U. But in 2020, Just Dance uh, 2021 20, or whatever. Anyways, the next... Oh, no, no, sorry. In next year's release in 2019, Just Dance 2020 would still be published on Wii. But so not Wii U. Not Wii U. So yeah. the, the Wii... Even outlasted. Stunning. Yeah, it, that is stunning. The Wii U. Um, yeah, so congratulations to Just Dance, uh, w- turning the Wii U into a Just Dance machine, or the Wii into a Just Dance machine. Yep, um, absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, I didn't. I didn't submit anything for this because th- there's basically nothing. Um, which then just brings us to the Switch and, and, and the modern era um, and the year that we are currently in. Uh, Switch originally came out March 2017, which makes the sixth year March 2022 to March 2023. Um, I didn't pick anything for this, uh, but, uh, and, and I don't know that we can really see the shape of the trends right now uh, because we're in it. Um, but it feels like kind of a regular Switch year to me. Yeah, Uh, you know, 2017 was such a weird year for the Switch, in hindsight, because it had so many amazing, like, big games, and they were coming so early in the generation, they were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have all this time for, like, another Zelda, another Mario, another Mario Kart, another Smash, you know, like... All of these things. And it hasn't... It hasn't, it hasn't happened. It hasn't turned yeah. out that way. Like right. No year has repeated 2017, which makes sense. Like, how could it possibly? Right. But 2018 and 2019 were impressive, like, medium runs. And then kind of since then, 2020, 2021, and 2022 have been sort of, like, the next step down. Sort of. Sort of. But, like, you got to count, like, 2020, say what you will about the year in general, Animal Crossing came out. You right. You know, like... Yeah, I guess I feel like um, uh, since we're in it, it's kind of hard to see. Yes. But I feel like what's impressive about the Switch in 2022 is that you can see Nintendo's strategy of consolidating the development to a single system instead of having to support like a handheld and a home console. Everything is just on this hybrid system, really paying dividends because, yeah, it's the sixth Year of the console, and you're still getting like major releases in a way that going through this list, very few consoles yeah. were getting, and not only major releases, but a uh, consistent release schedule. You know, right, it's right. not like these other consoles where, or a lot of these other consoles where it's like, yeah, they had like one big game left in them. It's like, no, like, yes, does it feel like we're leading up to Breath of the Wild 2 as some sort of like grand? you know finale grand capstone but you're still like maybe but like we gotta assume metroid prime 4 is still after that Uh, right yeah you have metroid prime still switch you know even this year you're getting splatoon 3 bayonetta Um, 3 right so like it just it feels different for nintendo to have like the kind of schedule that it has even in the switch's sixth year um what you said about them uh, like no longer developing for the two separate platforms or for that brief period, three separate platforms, although obviously they stopped supporting the GBA. Um, the, the one thing that I wish they were able to do is uh, like just release games that are like of the visual fidelity of like GBA or, or uh, a 3DS and just be happy with that. Um, I understand that like the requirements for like a Nintendo game Um, like that they just need to, they just need to be higher quality. Um, and like, you could still have a high quality game that just looks like it's a super NES game or like a GBA game. And I wish they could just do that. That was my hope as well. Like, especially in the beginning of the Switch's life, it was like, yeah, they're going to have their Breath of the Wilds. They're going to have their Super Mario Odysseys. But what about just these smaller, like projects, like a, um, kind of like a simple over the top Zelda, you know, like that sort of thing. But it does feel like we are not going to get those because Metroid Dread was probably the closest and maybe the to Link's Awakening that. uh remake. Right, but Link's Awakening feels like such a curiosity like yeah. in that they're I don't think they would use that same engine to just develop another, you know, like Although Zelda if they did. From I that would perspective. love it. Yeah, I mean, I guess never say never. But yeah, it it does feel like a I wish that as well. Yeah. I wish that they were taking more of those, like, risks, almost. Yeah, and, totally. But... Well, yeah. like, you just think about, you know, I, I said before, in the first five years of the 3DS, Fire Emblem uh, Awakening and Fates came out. Uh, in the first six year, uh, six years of the Switch, just three houses. Yeah. I feel like, it, yeah, I, f- I feel like it's kind of, like, two pieces. One, you know, Nintendo for as big of a presence as it has is not an enormous company. right? And you can see that in that they lean on so many third-party, second parties to help them develop these games. And, you know, Intelligent Systems, they, I guess, maybe not developed, but definitely had a hand in Three Houses. In Origami King, they developed, you know, presumably whatever this next fire emblem is right they'll be involved with but also were they working on the uh uh the remake of uh advance wars no i think that was i actually i, I, I don't I, know i thought that was entirely um the u.s studio whose name way forward uh, i think uh, that was uh, entirely yes, way yes, forward that's right but i don't know what kind of consulting they were doing since they were i wish that were, game would come out <laughs> yeah someday maybe but anyways <laughs> uh, just to say i totally agree with you but I wonder if it's just opportunity cost and yeah. Nintendo HD development is just so
1: it's so resource, now.
0: It's so resource intensive yeah. as well yeah. that I don't know that they really have the bandwidth for these kind of like smaller projects. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is a little bit of a shame just cause like we know how well all software sells um, on switch and especially ev- all software that like has is published by Nintendo. Like everything does well. I also think it's, oh, I've, was trying to think like, oh, it'd be awesome if Capcom were to make another, you know, like Zelda, like they did Minish Cap sure. during the GBA period. But I don't think Capcom is equipped to do that anymore. You know, they are yeah. so like an HD. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, like development studio that I don't think they have the tools. Yeah. I think that's another problem. Well, and I guess that's probably why Inti Creates is just quietly uh, pumping out uh, uh, Gunvolt, Azure Gunvolt games. Um, they have been like, 10 of them since the Switch came out yeah. and they come out to all platforms but I'm sure that's where they sell is on Switch so like I guess someone is filling those gaps uh, it's just not Nintendo yeah, it's, it's more that. on like the indie side yeah. it's like Nintendo has to well, get work sort of with like, like Dachemu or like something too. like that yeah. yes yes oh you're right not even like indie but it's just like smaller like way forward or Inti Creates where yeah. they specialize in like that sort of game development right right right, right. totally Um, alright Mark this is good let's close this out I would love to know if uh, other people have experience with uh, games that came out in the sixth year of a console's lifespan, um, and I think, Mark, do you think this is a, a different proposition for non Nintendo uh, consoles? I don't really have any sense of that, but I would be it'd be interesting to look. I mean, I'm just thinking about like the PlayStation Four. It's hard for me to uh, actually without having like the dates in front of me to conceptualize what's the 6th year and what's the 7th year. They also had such different yeah, third party uh support, you right, know, right. Where, like yeah. Well, just thinking about like first party support, like in my mind I put like Last of Us 2, Ghost of Tsushima in the uh PlayStation 4's um 6th f- year, maybe it's the 7th technically, I not not sure. Um but that like the really late in the system, uh like the because there's because the generational line is so like blurred um and you can just play that great game on the new uh hardware and it just looks and sounds better and feels better um that like yeah, I almost feel like that the distinction is becoming irrelevant. Between generations. Uh, Anyway, uh, if you have any thoughts on this, uh, dear listener, please let us know. Hop in the Discord. uh, Join us there. Uh, Email us at NintendoCartridgeSociety at gmail.com. Oops. Oh, man. uh, Mark, you're, you're going to be uh, you're gonna be taking a, a couple weeks here. That's right. Um, so uh, obviously you, uh, our listeners will hear from you as we uh, rank all the tracks in, in Mario Kart coming up. Um, but otherwise, we will see you in a couple weeks. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts uh, or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the episode, you should share it on Facebook or Twitter or any old place where you share stuff. Um, it uh, We appreciate it when you do that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Anthony DeLuca made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to 8 or by listening right now. From my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening.